Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. Around every educational institution during this time of the year, there is always tremendous excitement that is generated by those students who are preparing to graduate. The times are no different at the North Carolina Central University School of Law where we are preparing to graduate about uh, 120 new lawyers who will now go out into the world to do great things. Getting to this day was not a small accomplishment. It took a lot of courage to undertake this journey, and once here, it took a lot of hard work to get out. We are so proud of each of these graduates and understand the intense interactions that they have experienced over the years. Tonight we are going to discuss this legal education journey with four of these graduates or soon-to-be lawyers. Our guests for this discussion are Desiree Hutchinson, Mariel Kirby, Xavier Lightfoot, and Ernest Smith. So congratulations to uh, each of you, and thank you for joining us for this discussion. Thank, thank you. you for having thank us. You. Okay. I mean, I know it's a long journey <laughs> that, uh, that, you've, uh, that you've been through, and uh that you have your bandages and uh, <laughs> already uh, affixed uh, to you. Um, for our audience, let's walk through this legal education journey for uh, each of you, particularly since uh, you are all non-traditional students. Uh, so would you kind of provide us with uh, some background on your prior career and the, the life story that you had before you decided to go to uh, law school. So let's start with uh, uh, Ms. Hutchinson and then Ms. Kirby, Mr. Lightfoot, and uh, then Mr. Smith. So, Okay. Uh, so uh, I, I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I would say um, I first encountered the law at a very early age. I had a school field trip at Campbell back when it was in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, and my elementary school did a mock trial. Um, which I was sort of fascinated with the whole process. And so I went on to UNC Chapel Hill, and there was a time in my life where I actually thought I'd be headed down a medical route. I wanted to be like my mother. She was an LPN. Um, and then I just sort of started thinking about the law. It was on my mind quite a bit. I knew that there was an inner advocate in me. Um, but going to law school right out of undergrad didn't seem feasible. I think I just sort of needed a break. So I took some time off, got married, had a five, well, she's five now, but had a baby. And when the time was right, decided to apply for Central. And I've been here these last three years, and it, it, I couldn't have picked a better place to go to law school. Okay, Ms. Kirby. Yes, thank you, <coughs> Professor Joyner. In my former life, I was actually a teacher. Um, but before I tell what that was like, I will say that when I grew up in Wilmington, I was actually cast for a commercial where I played a lawyer. I was, I was nine years old at the time. I did not know that that would become a reality for me. 
Um, so I'm very excited about that. But after I graduated from undergrad, I did teach for eight years. Um, it was a really good experience. I feel like it taught me about people um, in a way that I don't know that any other career would have taught me. And so I'm grateful to come out of law school having had that experience. I think it'll make me a better advocate, um, and I'm really excited to use those skills. Yeah, so when, when I was growing up throughout my life, my parents used to tell me that I'm going to be a lawyer. Uh, they <laughs> joked that uh, I used to get up in class, and uh, anytime I had a book report or anything I had to, where I had to speak, I used to talk so much. The teacher used to make me sit down because I'd already gotten the A. I'd talk too much uh, throughout the class. Uh, but when I went to college at East Carolina, I kind of developed other interests. So I majored in business, but my junior year, um, I kind of uh, got uh, associated with a young man who was a in his third year at the time at North Carolina Central uh, Law School, and he became a mentor to me, helped me to uh, understand there's a lot of different things that you could do with a legal degree, um, and you could uh, I, I could also uh, pursue my business interests with a, a law degree. So I decided to go to law school. I um, got uh, admitted when I was working with Fidelity Investments two years after uh, undergrad. Uh, into the performance-based admission program, which is a two-year program, that, or a two-week two program, excuse me, that allows you to uh, demonstrate to faculty and administrators your ability to matriculate through the law school, uh, law school program. And that's how I earned my seat into our class, and so that's my story. Mr. Smith. Well, my story is a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I won't say that I'm longer in the tooth, but um, so I've been involved. Well, let me back up. Uh, prior to coming to law school, uh, I like to say I'm a recovering pastor um, because for a period of time uh, I was a pastor at a, a very large church, and um, you know then we moved back to Durham and started doing some community work. And um, in my in my community work, one of the things that I and I'll be frank with you, I became a little disillusioned with the church, which is why. Um, I see the church as not being as active in the community and making the changes that need to happen in community as it could. And so as we begin to engage in community work, uh, we kept bumping up against um, problems. And, and I knew that I wanted to do something more um, than just be a community organizer, um, not just a community organizer because that's so much to do, um, but just to do something to sort of break the system. So I considered public policy. Um, and I was considering public policy at, at UNC or Duke, and, um, and Duke had this dual degree program, and I said, well, let me think about that. Um, but what, the more I looked at public policy, the more I saw that, you know, they train you to, to craft um, whatever the, the legislator wants you to do. Is You're not actually necessarily... Um, you know, helping break the system unless that's what the legislator wants to do. And so I said, well, maybe law is the thing for me. Um, we had been involved with some of the lawyers from Southern Coalition for Social Justice um, as there were some police incidents that were happening in our community. My neighbor across the street had been shot and killed by the police, and the police afterwards were talking about he brought a gun to an, uh, a knife to a gunfight. And so, you know, we were having problems in Durham with, with police misconduct. And um, and I got to know Scott Holmes and some other attorneys and was just inspired to say that maybe uh, going through law, uh, going through law school would be a, a venue that I could use to help change some of the brokenness of our system. Okay. Now, what was it that, uh, that, that, that caused you to make the decision or to take the step? 
to actually come. Uh, because it's one thing to think about it. Uh, it is a, another thing to leave a uh, profession or a job uh, that uh, you are engaged in and then make, uh, after having made the decision that you're going to devote uh, three years uh, with no compensation uh, except for the preachers uh, and uh, that, you, that you come out and actually uh, get into this, um, into this experience. So what was it that, 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 that pushed you that way? I think for me that the time was just right. So um, my husband, actually, he just retired from active duty Army yesterday, um, but he had spent his whole career at Fort Bragg, and it, and it didn't seem like we were going to be um, being stationed anywhere else. I knew that it was something I wanted to do. My child was around two at the time, so I felt like her age was appropriate that um, I'd be able to go to school and sort of be able to balance my school life and my home life. Um, and I also was working customer service at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina at the time. I enjoyed what I did. Um, I liked talking to people. Uh, but I think for me, I just sort of realized that it was a felt like a now or never kind of thing. The timing was right. My age, I felt like my age was right. Um, and so I just applied. And for me, after teaching for several years, I actually got a master's degree in school administration. Um, I'm a licensed principal, and I was able to see how schools run, what it takes to create partnerships with the communities, um, what it takes to improve the lives of, of children. But then I realized that I did not have enough tools in my box. And so I was thinking about applying to law school, and initially I thought, well, I've already been teaching for this number of years. Is it worth it? Can I afford to do this? And um, then I realized that the only person who can put me in a box is myself. And so I moved on faith, applied, and went from there. Uh, for me, uh, as far as what caused it, it wasn't just one, one little thing. Um, it was just all different types of things um, throughout undergrad, uh, just meeting people uh, that were associated with the legal profession or they were lawyers. Um, it kept just getting brought up to me and so I figured you know that was probably something that I needed to do um, it was just a feeling and so I made a decision my junior year of undergrad but once I got accepted into PBAP the performance-based admission program I knew okay this is something that is for me I need to do this particular uh, track and so I just gave it my all at that point in time and you know it, w it was a big step because you know you you're working at the time you're making money um, and you know you're about to step into something where you're not going to be making money uh, you're going to be studying all the time um, so it, it was a, a, a huge step but it's definitely one that I'm glad I made for sure mm -hmm. for me the timing um, worked in the sense that uh, my kids were all getting out and, and doing their own thing and so uh, my responsibilities to them were uh, were different at that point and it was just important I, I'm not getting any younger and if I want to make the changes that I want to see happen you know I had to t take that step and so it took a lot of sacrifice my wife um, we had been a two-income family and now we're a one-income family and um, and piling up debt for being in school but um, we're, we're both committed to the process and I could not have done it without the support of my family. So well, now you all talked about the adjustments, um, the monetary adjustments, but you also had to make adjustments in terms of going back to school and becoming a student. So how did you 
figure out how you were going to approach being in an academic setting again? Ernest, let's start with you. <laughs> yeah, so, um, it, you know, I'm going to just tell my age. I'm 52 years old. And so the it's not the same as when I was 20, you know, in school. And um, it's, it's a bit harder for me, you know, rec recalling things. But I, I've told many of the students and others when they talk about being an older student, I think I give up uh, some of the things regarding, you know, quick recall. However, I think my lived experience and the practicality of understanding how systems work and how uh, things have are connected was a bonus for me. And so, you know, it's a give and take sort of thing. And so, um, and as far as studying, I know that I had to put more time in. And um, we originally considered doing the evening program, which would have been four years. And that was one of the things that I was shying away from because that's a longer period. But also uh, the idea of not being able to focus completely on school was going to be a greater challenge for me. So uh, knowing that I had to, to focus um, and to put a little more work in um, was, was necessary for me in, in this experience. That's right. I think one thing um, that helped with that adjustment was the Summer Start program, which was initiated our first year. Ernest, myself, and Mariel, um, we d uh, completed that program. Um, and what I liked about it is that it gave you the early exposure to law school so that you sort of know what the expectations are, but then you adjust and figure out what habits you need to have in order to do well. So I would credit that program a lot with helping me learn how to be a student again. And I will have to agree with Desiree, um, but for me, it, it was challenging also in the sense that after having taught for several years, I was used to knowing all the answers. I could predict what the kids would ask. And, you know, when I began to sit in, in my law school classes and I didn't know the answers most of the time, um, it, it was quite an adjustment for me. And I'll, I'll also have to say that it, it's not the, the life that you would normally expect a student to, to live. It's different from undergrad. It, it's incredibly demanding. And so it was an adjustment for me, both mentally and physically. Xavier. My adjustment, it wasn't too bad uh, because when I was working with Fidelity Investments for my first six months, I was studying for half the time uh, I was there to get my securities license. So I got my Series 7 and 66 when I was working with Fidelity. And then right before I transitioned into law school, I was studying to get my uh, certified to become a certified financial planner. So I have been studying really all the time. Um, so it wasn't a huge transition, but what was what was big uh, for me was how to study for law school. So that was that was different than anything that I had ever uh, faced before because it's completely different than undergrads, completely different than what you would do um, if, if once you're working. Um, it's just it's a different type of uh, uh, machine, I would say. <laughs> so how is it different? So explain to those that are listening who may remember, you know, what it was right. like studying in high school, college, how this was different? Well, for me, I know in undergrad, you have certain courses that aren't as demanding as other courses, and you can kind of, you know, slack to a certain degree, uh, for lack of better words. Um, law school, your first year is just, man, it's every class is as demanding as the uh, <laughs> next class or the other class and they all require the same if not more uh, work and time and attention 
and you really have to put that time in. It's not like you can just, you know, say, oh, well, you know, I'll make it up here and there. You, you don't have the time to make anything up here and there. So, you know, you can't you're trying to struggle to stay afloat you, because if you get behind and you're, you, you know, you're really uh, in bad shape. So you want to, you know, stay stay where uh, stay the pace with everyone else. Um, that's the goal. But that's what I mean by different. I'd like to add to that that the um, reading and not just reading all the case law that we had to read, but um, you can read through it, but you also have to dive in to find out what it what does it mean? And, and you know, so read and reread and read again um, to be able to, to get through. And that's not just for one class. I mean, if you've got five classes, there's five thick textbooks that they're trying to get through at least 800 pages every semester. And it's 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 daunting. All right, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review, and uh, we are discussing the uh, uh, experience of uh, four of our uh, soon-to-be uh, graduates uh, at the uh, at the law school, or soon-to-be lawyers uh, at the uh, at the, at the law school. And uh, we want you to stay with us. We're going to take a break uh, right now, and we'll be right back. So hang on, and we'll continue this discussion. Since 2010, the North Carolina Central University School of Law has been at the forefront of virtual legal education with the launch of its Virtual Justice Project. The Virtual Justice Project is an innovation in legal education and technology. NCCU School of Law pioneered this approach to address the underrepresentation of African-American lawyers and a lack of access to justice for low-income and marginalized communities. Virtual pre-law courses prepare students, wherever they are, for the rigor of law school. The Know Your Rights series offers legal information sessions that empower participants to understand the law and to promote self-advocacy. Both the pre-law courses and the legal information sessions are made possible through telepresence and high-definition video conferencing. Course listings and contact information, along with more detail about the Virtual Justice Project, are on the NCCU Law website at law.nccu.edu. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review, where we are... Discussing the uh, learned experience of uh, uh, four new uh, attorneys who are going out now into the uh, marketplace. Uh, Mary L. Kirby, uh, Desiree Hutchinson, Xavier Lightfoot, and Ernest Smith uh, are all non-traditional uh, students. And by non-traditional, we mean those students who did not come in straight from uh, undergraduate school into the law school experience, but uh, uh, establish some work experience or some other professional experiences uh, outside before they made the decision to, uh, to come back. Now, uh, you are older students, and uh, how did that impact and affect uh, your ability to engage with those traditional students, those younger, those young bucks uh, who uh, came directly outside of uh, 
uh, right from uh, undergraduate school into uh, law school? Did that have a uh, uh, inspirational impact on you, or was it uh, a destabilizing uh, influence uh, on you as you uh, went through this experience? So. It was definitely a challenge initially. I will say myself and Ms. Hutchinson and Mr. Smith, we all gravitated toward one another and some of the other students who are closer to our ages. Um, the younger students, I feel, viewed us as, as more of a role model. They're usually really respectful and they, they come to us, but they also, they see us as their elders in a certain sense. And and so that did create... Well, that's what happened with old people. <laughs> <laughs> it did create some challenges. Yeah, I, I would have to agree a lot with Miss Kirby on that. In fact, I'm reflecting back. Ernest was actually the first person I ever spoke to um, on the first day of law school. Um, I know for myself, I very quickly got categorized as being part of the working mom study group, although I was the only mom in the study group. <laughs> we were just known as the uh, working moms, but I've always considered myself to be very social. I could have a conversation with a fly on the wall, literally. Um, so it didn't impact me too much. Um, that's what I would say about that. For me, um, it was... Let me tell a quick story. So there's a gentleman who came to me when I, in my first year, and he was considering coming to law school, and he actually did, Mark Hutchinson. And, um, you know, he was asking me about my experience as, as an older student coming back to, to college. And I, and I relayed some of the same th things that I did earlier about, you know, you know learning is a little different, and it's, it, you have to focus in, in different ways. But I asked him this, this year, and a couple of months ago, I said, um, as a minority in the school because he's white and going to an all-black school uh, or a, a majority uh, African-American school, how was that experience? And he said, you know, that's not as much of an issue as being older. He said, I feel my age in this, in this environment much more than I feel, um, you know, uh, my race. And I think that that's true. I mean, th there's expectations. There are, um, you know, I'm learning a lot. Um, my kids will tell me when I ask them questions about what is this song? <laughs> I said, where'd you hear that? I said, well, you know, I'm in a different world right now. So I'm hearing things that I hadn't heard before. And so it's, it's been enjoyable. Um, and I, I think in some ways being around some of the younger students uh, helped keep me a little bit younger, a, li a little bit uh, more in touch uh, than I had been before. Now, Xavier, you're non-traditional, but you of the four were had the shortest gap between <laughs> undergrad and and law school. So you you probably fit somewhere in the middle there. Yes. So yeah, share um, your perspective. Yeah. And, and that's why he's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I think I um I think I have a good middle ground. Uh, I honestly uh I've never paid attention to the uh age demographic uh, within the law school until recently, honestly. Um, I, 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 just because I never have uh, felt it directly. Um, I always felt like I was relatively close in age with any of the younger students, and I felt like my experience just in professional life uh, gave me the ability to interact with any tra uh, non-traditional or older students um, just in a different capacity, just because I've been used to having conversations that can take you any different number of ways. Um, so I, I, I didn't really uh, feel 
that impact, but I, I have definitely benef benefited from having um, uh, students such as Ernest uh, that I could talk with on a daily basis, but also benefited uh, from having younger students uh, who are behind me and just knowing about their experience and how they fit into this whole uh, law school journey. Um, so it's, it's definitely uh, been rewarding uh, being in the middle and getting to appreciate both uh, sides of the spectrum. So when you say recently, what was recently that made you feel? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I would say uh, <laughs> probably you, Ernest. Uh, <laughs> uh, just talking with Ernest uh, about his kids and about his family and what made him come to law school. Um, that, that's probably what recently grasped my attention to just, you know, we have a, a wide range uh, of people within our law school community, and it's not just uh, what you would expect to see those students who come in uh, directly from undergrad. Um, it's people who are coming, starting their second or third career, maybe. And, um, you know, it's, you know, whatever their vision is or their goals, reasons for coming to law school, that's important to them. Um, and it's the same for younger students. that their goals, their vision, that's important to them. And so it's important to uh, make sure that everyone feels important with what they want to do uh, because it is important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that uh, kind of uh, revelation as to the, the gap in age um, kind of underscores a point that three of the four of you are actually married, and that's another <laughs> thing that kind of separates you, um, Xavier. <laughs> And um, so, Desiree, what what were your thoughts about starting law school, having a family, having a young daughter, and what did you experience? How were you able to navigate being a mother, being a wife, uh, having a, a young family, and being a law student? Oh, I was terrified um, because I very quickly realized after admitted students say that the expectation of the bar were going to be very, very high. Um, and so I wondered if my family could deal with um, not seeing me regularly. Um, I also live in Sanford, so I commute two hour or one hour to and one hour from school a day. Um, I think the the thing that really helped most with that is just having a really understanding family, having a support system, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. Um, as backup in case we needed someone to go and get the baby in case my husband had like a 24-hour staff duty on Fort Bragg and I had to be at school late. Um, I think just keeping an open line of communication, letting people know, you know, what your schedule, what's upcoming in your week and that sort of thing sort of helped everybody adjust to the new life. Mario. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, my husband, if you ask him, he's also graduating law school. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it was very difficult juggling both law school and a family. He was incredibly supportive. He also had an idea of what I was about to go through. My mother-in-law went to, went to law school as well. Um, so he did have an idea, but it, it was extremely challenging. I feel like after these three years, it's almost as if I've been absent in a sense. So I'm looking forward to catching up again with my family, catching up with him and just being present um, in a way that I wasn't able to these last three years. It, you're, you're right, Mariel. It is, it is a sacrifice. Um, you know, we 
in order to do what we have decided to do and our, our spouses have supported us and there's no way that we could do it without their support. Um, and I look at how um, I spent a couple of years in Romania and before I left to go to Romania, the people were telling me, oh, you don't know how it's going to be. I'm like, oh, I, you know, I can handle it. Um, and then I got there and, you know, and it was, um, you know, amazing how much, how little I knew. And it's the same with law school. Even though you've been warned, we read the book, um, One L of a Ride and, and other books to help prepare us, until you're in it, uh, you can't really understand, you know, the depth of the sacrifices that you have to make, especially if you have a family. Um, and you have to find those places to connect um, when you can and continue to sow into to those relationships um, because there, there is a sacrifice that is made. Well, what, what are some of the uh, things that, uh, that you had to give up? Uh, what are some of the sacrifices that uh, you had to, uh, to make in order to make this experience uh, work? I think for me, time is probably the biggest thing I had to sacrifice. Um, you know, two hours a day, that's 10 hours a week on the road, maybe not being able to go to every gymnastics practice, um, maybe not you know, getting to take my daughter to do some of the things that she wanted to do. I'd have to maybe um, assign that role to someone else or we'd just have to find another weekend to do it. I will say one thing I tried to do um, is find ways to incorporate my daughter into my study um, practice. Um, so one day, for example, I like drew a hopscotch board because she wanted to go outside and play and I had to study for finals. So I drew a hopscotch board and I put, you know, every subject that I had in that semester in one of the spaces and every space she hopped to, I'd have to give her a rule um, from that subject. So I found that even though you do have to sacrifice the time, there are ways that you can still sort of make it fun for your little one um, and do what you need to do at the same time. Oh, that's I'll have to agree with Ms. Hutchinson. Time was a real issue, um, as I was as we're going into bar prep. But, <laughs> but my husband and I, prior to law school, were extremely active. If we weren't working, we were out doing something fun, whether it's shopping or going out of town. or And, you know, I wasn't able to do those things. The, the only thing that I, actually there were two things that I was able to continue doing throughout my law school career. And that is our Saturday night date night and our Sunday morning church attendance. That was it. Everything else, I was on a very strict schedule um, in order to be successful. And I think one of the things that, that I realized, and you say it to your friends and, and your family, um, you know, but you begin to um, not be in those spaces that you've always been in with them. And you're feeling a little disconnected from how, you know, life had been for you and, and relationships that, that you value, you're not able to put as much into them as outside of family. Because for me, I, I needed to make sure that I was focused on family. And as much as I love um, my, my friends and, and others, there just wasn't time. Um, <laughs> I didn't have much of a sacrifice uh, listening to uh, my classmates. Uh, my sacrifice was probably uh, just being on the scene uh, and <laughs> just, you know, going out with friends, hanging out on the weekends, uh, you know, having fun. That was that was my biggest sacrifice that I had to make. So what would you say, Xavier, was one of your biggest challenges in law school? Oh, uh, one of my biggest challenges was the fact that I wasn't on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when you have friends uh, who, I mean, this is a this is a, 
a really vibrant area for uh, young professionals, um, Raleigh Durham area. And when you have friends who have all graduated um, and you're all kind of in the same community, in the same area, and you're not able to uh, interact with them uh, in the ways that you would want to, uh, you're not able to uh, do the same things that you were doing for pretty much. You know, all the time uh, before you started law school, that uh, that can kind of create rifts in certain uh, relationships uh, and friendships. And so it's important to try to maintain the friendships and relationships that you feel like uh, you, you want to maintain, um, but doing it in a way that you're not compromising and sacrificing um, on your schoolwork or your coursework, uh, because that is you know what you've signed up to do and you want to be successful in that. And I think that goes to Ernest's point, which is you don't you cannot understand what it means to be a law student until you are a law student. And I think everyone who's graduated from law school or gone to law school, we know that because we all kind of go in thinking that we have an understanding of what what the time demands and and you can't. And and your friends, um, your family, no one can really fully kind of appreciate what you're going through. It's, it's similar in a way to um, pledging. You know, when you've been through an experience of law school with your classmates and others, you've had this, you've gone through this fire together and, um, you know, you appreciate each other because you've done this, you've done, you've accomplished this and they can relate to what you've been through um, and you have that shared experience. Well, what, uh, what were the exciting points? Uh, uh, talk about the downside, <laughs> sacrifices. Uh, there had to be some up so points some uh, somewhere that uh, made you uh, want to stay and stick uh, with this experience. Don't rush. <laughs> <laughs> Graduation. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, coming to the end of this journey, I, I truly feel that I am a much more critical thinker um, I'm a better speaker. I feel like I, you know, law school has developed me into the kind of person and the kind of advocate that I saw myself becoming, but I didn't know that it was law school that I needed to get me there. And so, you know, it, it is the greatest academic challenge I've ever had. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, in terms of just your everyday, you know, academic experience, I think some of the high points are getting a paper back and seeing that you, you know, you performed well, not just because of the letter grade, but because it also shows that you, you've learned something. I think that's great, um, positive reinforcement, um, that it's going well. And I will specifically shout you two out on this. Never in my life did I ever imagine that I'd get to travel to South Africa or go to the United States Supreme Court to hear oral arguments. Um, those are experiences that I know I would not have gotten anywhere else um, other than Central. And so I, those are definitely high points for me. And you stole my spot on the Supreme Court, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, I, you know, in addition to all of those wonderful opportunities, um, you know, I, I think for me, um, being an HBCU, being in a place where um, you knew that the, the, pro the professors really want to see you succeed, that um, you're with people who are um, feeling you and helping you grow, it just it feels like home. And I think that that, for me, was one of the high points. Um, the undergraduate I attended, to, attended was a PWI. 
And, you know, that was fine, but it's not like my experience here. Um, and I, I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for the, the teachers, the profes- professors that I've had. And um, even um, though we've had some, uh, one of the things that's a little different, uh, we had some things that happened in, in uh, the school last year, and it brought up some anxiety in the school. But um, I was pleased to see how the students would organize and speak and say, you know, speak what they were feeling. And um, for me, that made me proud. Um, There's been so many high points uh, throughout (laughs) the law school career. Uh, But uh, definitely two of my favorites, as you mentioned, Ms. Hutchison, were the trip to South Africa uh, with you, Professor Joyner, and Professor Dawson. You were there as well. And then the United States Supreme Court. But along the way, um, I've had the opportunity to participate in uh, the trial team at North Carolina Central, and I've just really had some great moments um, in competition. Uh, and so uh, I've enjoyed that experience because it gives you an opportunity to implement some of the things that you've uh, been working on in your evidence class and um, in your trial practice class, and that's, that's been rewarding to me. Okay, we're talking about the uh, law school experience with uh, four of uh, our uh, soon-to-be uh, graduates uh, who uh, are now uh, new lawyers out in the uh, profession. And uh, we're going to continue this uh, discussion in a few minutes. Just hang, hang with us and we'll be right back. The Center for Child and Family Health was founded in 1996 as a consortium of North Carolina Central University, Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the Durham community. Since that time, CCFH has become a national leader in research, training, and the treatment of childhood trauma. The mission of CCFH is to care for children and families affected by abuse, neglect, and other forms of trauma. Its professionals utilize a multidisciplinary, measurable approach to provide prevention services, treatment for children and families, professional training, and research related to childhood traumatic stress by uniquely integrating community-based practice and academic excellence. Its vision is that every child has the right to be loved, nurtured, and safe. As a center of excellence, CCFH strives to define the highest standards in the prevention and treatment of childhood trauma. In this way, stability and hope can be restored for children and their families. Information about the Center for Child and Family Health is at 919-419-3474 or the Center's website at www.ccfhnc.org. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I 
have had the privilege of spending the last, um, what, 40 minutes, we've got 20 more minutes to go, with uh, four of our favorite students. We've got Desiree Hutchinson, Mariel Kirby, Xavier Lightfoot, and Ernest Smith. Uh, soon to be graduates, actually by the airing of this show, you all will have already walked across the stage, had your diploma, <laughs> moved your tassel from one side to the other. And uh, we've been just talking about your law school journey. Uh, Muriel, you had mentioned that one of the things that you and your husband wanted to make sure that you continue to do, even while you were in law school, was to have your Saturday night date nights and your Sunday night time to, to worship. And I wanted to ask the rest of you, what did you do to make sure that you were able to maintain you know, some of that? Because mental health is incredibly important. Law school is incredibly stressful. And you've got to do things to make sure that you stay kind of grounded. So uh, what did you do, Desiree, to... Well, it yeah. took me a while to come to terms with the fact that you do have to take care of yourself during this process. So I actually um, had a professor pull me to the side my, my first semester and say, make sure you take some time for you. Um, I believe the professor said something along the lines of take the last hour of your evening. Don't do any studying. Don't do anything law school related because you've been doing it all day. Take that hour and do something you love. And the first thing I did was tell my husband about it because I knew it. I knew if I just kept the information to myself, I, I wouldn't have done anything with it. So every now and again, my husband will say, well, remember, Professor so-and-so said you need to take this hour and that helped to keep me accountable. Our power. Our power. <laughs> <laughs> Xavier, what did you do? Um, Since you couldn't hang out quite as much as you did before. Uh, I, like to, I like to watch sports and keep up uh, with uh, basketball, football, professional, and collegiate. Uh, so I usually try to um, grab one of my buddies in my class who's graduating as well, and we just go to uh, Carolina L House and just watch a couple games or something like that, um, maybe on a Friday, or uh, just you know hang out inside and watch a few games because um, you know I can't go all out, but Mike can you know get a couple games in. <laughs> <laughs> so a uh, couple of things. Um, my wife was uh, a honored with the fellowship with uh, Robert Wood Johnson, and so she's been traveling. Um, and sometimes when she have trips, um, I would uh, tag along with her, bring my books, and you know, while she's doing her thing, I'd be able to, to stay and, and study. So find those opportunities. As well, um, we have, during our winter breaks, we've started uh, going to, you know, getting out of the country and uh, finding some really good downtime. I've learned to be, I'm a certified scuba diver now. Um, so start off with snorkeling and then uh, decided I wanted to go deeper and, and kind of, um, you know, see, see a different world. And so finding those things that, that actually can relax you and can, um, you know, you can enjoy. Well, you're, you're lawyers now. Uh, once you uh, pick up that piece of paper uh, and uh, go across the burning sand, uh, you have moved into uh, the, uh, the profession. Uh, what is it uh, that, that you're going to do? Because these are uncertain times. Uh, probably uh, the times are more uncertain now than you've ever faced uh, before. And uh, so you have now these new uh, tools, uh, as you would see, these new skills and uh, these new possibilities. Uh, what is it that you're going to, uh, to do with, uh, with those? 
So I'll start um, because I, I, I keep saying this to um, several of the students. Um, you know, yes, we're facing a, a very different time than when we went in, and um, but the writing has been on the wall for a long time, and things, um, you know, and I think I, I I love the fact that people are trying to be awake now more than they have ever before, and so the the structural issues that we face need to be addressed. And, you know, I always challenge some of my younger students, uh, some of my younger classmates that, you know, um, yes, you can go out and make money, but don't forget that we need to be making changes in our society. And so, um, you know, if, if you don't find the work that you're looking for, I can find some work for, for you to do with your law degree that will help break the system. All right. So for me, um, I took a I took a job with the firm I interned with over the summer, uh, Warden Smith. So I'll be uh, moving to Asheville uh, in September right. and okay. doing uh, some labor and employment litigation and uh, some uh, labor and employment transactional work as well. Don't get caught in the uh, mudslides. <laughs> <laughs> try, try to stay away from those. Um, but um, I also hope to uh, be able to incorporate uh, a good bit of juvenile law into my uh, pro bono practice. Um, that's something that's been important to me. I had the opportunity to participate in the uh, juvenile law clinic in North Carolina Central. And um, I just see uh, that is something that's uh, very important because there's a lot of youth who uh, don't have uh, the people that they need to be in their corner and they don't have access to uh, the proper resources uh, within the legal system. Well, I will say I am 29 years old and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And what I mean by that is um, I actually came into law school thinking I just wanted to get my degree, get my license and go back and work in-house for Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Um, but I think throughout the law, the law school journey, one thing I have learned about myself is that um, I think I have um, the heart more so for people than I do for the industry um, and I think I would echo exactly what Ernest just mentioned um, but after this process I will actually be moving to Richmond Virginia to go to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit Ooh, I'll be in the right. office of staff counsel for a year and okay. that'll give me some more time to figure out where my talents are best suited all right congratulations uh, Thank on you. that yeah so that's uh, that's a big deal thank you okay. I'm excited <laughs> My plan is to start by preparing for the bar. <laughs> um, I've been blessed to have three wonderful internships. I've gotten to know um, so many people in the field. And so at this point, it's undecided, but hopefully we'll find out soon. And we should also mention uh, Muriel's voice probably sounds familiar to our regular <laughs> listeners because she does our promos, um, our announcements, actually. So uh, during the breaks, um, she lends her beautiful voice. So thank you very much. She's been doing this for two years. And so we really appreciate the work that you put in. And we're going to miss you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me, Professor Dawson and right. Professor Irvin. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, let me just ask one, one other question of, of, of each of you. How has this experience changed you? Well, I can't watch a TV show anymore without <laughs> without thinking of how the law is entangled with whatever I'm watching um, or even just out in my daily travel. I'll be in the car with my husband and I'll say something law related and he'll say, you leave that at school. You don't taint my mind. Um, so I think it's just made me more uh, analytical. Um, I will say, unfortunately, I do have to sort of 
I find myself having to remind people out in the community that I'm not licensed. I'm referring to friends and family and that sort of thing because you will have people hit you up and say, I need you to come and represent me tomorrow for my traffic ticket or help me with my child support or my custody dispute. And you have to, you know, make sure you say, yes, I'm going through this process and I will be a lawyer and maybe I can point you in the direction of someone who can help. So it sort of made me be more assertive and protective of myself because I don't want to lose the license before I even get it. Um, I'll, I'll share a couple things. First, I want to go back to something that Ernest was sharing earlier, which is the importance of attending an HBCU. Um, as a result of law school here at Central, I see myself differently. I see the world differently. Um, I now have a, you know, a different sense of pride and a different meaning to being African-American um, within the United States. And part of that I also want to attribute to the trip that we took with Professor Joyner and Professor Dawson to South Africa. It has really helped shape my perspective. Um, something else that I also want to acknowledge is I've noticed now that when I see people, they, they see me differently and I need to recognize that they see me as, a, as an attorney. That's the reality. And so I now have to see myself the way that most of um, those that I encounter will see me as well. I uh, definitely want to echo uh, what Ms. Kirby said. Um, I think, you know, throughout law school, I've gained a great deal of perspective about um, just the world and uh how I view different things on a day-to-day um, is, uh, you know, it was, it was easy for me to kind of take a side on certain things before law school. Um, now it's much harder uh, because you want to understand what the facts are underlying each uh, and every situation. Uh, and my exams throughout law school have taught me that, that it's important to know <laughs> what the facts are that you're presented with. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's definitely... Um, uh, uh, important in real life. Um, you know, the facts aren't what uh, someone tells you or what the media uh, presents to you, but, you know, what do you know as and uh, to be true as certain facts? So that's important. Uh, so the perspective is what has changed me, and I'm very appreciative of that. I agree with what, what has been said by both Desiree, um, Marielle, and Xavier. I just want to add to something Xavier was saying. Um, one of the things I find myself doing is when, like you say, you're presented with a certain set of facts, uh, rather, rather than just taking them at face value, um, I'm inclined to say, well, I'd like to hear the other side of the story before, you know, I will, you know, even begin to, to give input because so often, um, I mean, we all do it. We have our perspective of what something is and it's not always a full perspective and so we're quick to jump onto a, a topic or a, on the bandwagon of something without having a full perspective and it's good to take the time to hear another perspective um, even if you end up at the same place that you started with but to hear another perspective is, is good. You know Muriel when you were talking about people see you differently um, being in the HBCU environment, we sometimes forget, and I forget as a as a professor. You know, I'm I'm interacting with you know um, African American women, African American men, my colleagues, my students, and I sometimes forget how there is so much lack of diversity in the legal profession. And one of the things when you said that, it made me think about this. Um, whenever I'm I meet particularly an older uh, African American uh, male or female. Um, 
and they find out that I'm a lawyer, the sense of pride that comes over their face is just uh, amazing. And so, um, yes, people do see us differently in it. It always reminds me that, and I always tell my students that, you know, this is a noble profession and it is incumbent upon us to make sure that we leave this society better than what we found it because we are equipped with those tools. So um, thank you for, for reminding me of that. So what advice would you give to those that are interested in going to law school? Well, I guess they don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're giving it thoughtful consideration, which, you know, lawyers do. I would certainly encourage it. Um, but, I, you know, I want to say to you, to be ready. One, one thing that I wish that I had had when I started out was a mentor going into law school. Because prior to law school, I really had no connection whatsoever with the legal profession. And so... In my opinion, it made it more difficult for me to navigate the field. So prior to, go ahead and, and find a mentor and, and start that process then. I think my advice would be forget everything you know or think you know <laughs> and um, be comfortable with being uncomfortable um, because it is a learning and a growing process and you're not expected to come in um, knowing everything there is to know about the law if that were the case you wouldn't be in law school. Um, so that would be my advice. Xavier and I had a conversation recently about um, the lack of young black males um, coming through. And, you know, I'd like to take this time just to encourage that if, if as a young black male you're considering this, um, you can do it. There will be support that is available here for you. And uh, it is something that you can do. And we do need to see, um, you know, as you said, Professor Dawson, uh, you know, there's a sense of pride when people uh, in our profession and people notice that. And we really need to see, um, I believe, more black males taking this step towards this. Um, <clears throat> I agree with everyone uh, that has said anything. But I think uh, as far as advice I would give um, is uh, – come with uh, uh, some humility uh, because law school will definitely humble you uh, throughout. <laughs> um, but also, uh, to piggyback on uh, Miss Kirby's comment, definitely surround yourself with people who have been through the process before and align yourself with some good mentors who can help you uh, to kind of figure out your way as you go along um, and fill some gaps uh, that you may necessarily not even know there are gaps um, and kind of help you have a blueprint to go through it. Uh, because for me, as a first first person in my family to ever come through law school and to do it, you know, um, I definitely didn't do it on my own. had a lot of help uh, from individuals uh, along the way who'd already been through this process. So I think that's definitely important uh, for anyone who's coming through law school. But definitely, you know, if this is your first generation law school student, um, it's definitely important to have some people in your corner who can kind of help you navigate uh, this new terrain. Okay. I, I really want to uh, echo the point that uh, the expectations of you uh, have uh, changed. Uh, even when you were in law school, uh, when you met people and uh, told them that you were a law student, uh, they viewed you differently and wanted uh, uh, more from you than they would ask for from anyone else. And that's certainly going to be the case now that you are an attorney. Uh, you are preparing to uh, get licensed 
for whichever jurisdiction it is that you're going to uh, to go to, but uh, the expectations are huge. And uh, so, uh, you know, from my perspective, you owe it to all of us uh, to succeed uh, and to uh, become uh, the change that you have always looked for, hoped for, and that you will look for in the uh, in in the future. And I have a lot of uh, confidence in uh, each of you that you're going to go out here and uh, make a difference uh, in the uh, in the world and a difference that uh, we need uh, to have because uh, you know these are those kinds of times that uh, will demand uh, your best uh, and your total. Uh, dedication to bringing about uh, this change. So uh, I'm grown uh, from having have had this experience and contact with uh, with each of you over the years. So uh, you know, make make continue to make me proud. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and and me as well. I think uh, probably uh, not discussed. Um, you know, point that we should probably express more is that as your professors, we do get so much out of having such wonderful, dedicated, bright young people that remind us every day of why it is that we decided to become lawyers. And uh, you all inspire us. So. You know, keep yeah, definitely keep it up. Uh, we only have a few more minutes, but Xavier mentioned that he was interested in doing juvenile work uh, from a pro bono standpoint, and so and pro bono is where lawyers basically volunteer their time. And so I wanted to ask each of you, um, what areas might you want to do some pro bono work? So even if you know, because of course you, you got these law school loans that you got to pay, so <laughs> the job that pays the bill may not necessarily be the job that uh, allows you to give in in a passionate way. Um, but I did want to allow each one of you to kind of share what a passion um, uh, area that you have when it comes to the law. Thank you, Professor Dawson. Uh, pro bono for me would definitely be in the area of education. One issue that I saw as a teacher were for students who had special needs, they didn't always have those needs that were recognized or acknowledged while they were in the classroom. And a lot of that is due to the absence of parents or due to their just not being aware of the services that are available for them. So I would definitely try and advocate for those kids and their families. For me, um, that looks like issues surrounding housing, evictions, um, folks who are dealing with addiction. Um, and I think a lot of that stimulates from my background, um, having seen some of those things in, in my lifetime. Those are the folks that I'd like to go out and help people dealing with those issues specifically. Um, I, housing is definitely one of the areas that, that I will uh, spend some time with. In, our, in Durham, um, we were talking earlier about how, what a great community this is. However, um, a lot of people are being pushed out, and, um, and it's very important for us to find ways to, to uh, keep people that are in the community to remain in the community. Well, we are out of time, but thank you all so much for spending your time with us and just sharing your thoughts and your journey. Um, we have Desiree Hutchinson, Muriel Kirby, Xavier Lightfoot, and Ernest Smith. 
uh, graduates of this fine, fine, fine institution. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, as always, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any comments or questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.